Section 11 of Sasha. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eva Davis. Sasha by Alexander Cuprin. Translated by Douglas Ashby. Black Fog. A Petersburg Case. I remember perfectly his first arrival in Petersburg from his hot, lazy, sensual south. There emanated from him the very atmosphere of black earth force, the odor of dry, sun-baked feather-grass, the simple poetry of quiet sunsets, gradually fading away behind the cherry-trees of little orchards. He had the inexhaustible health of the steppe, and he was so vivid in his fresh naivete. He came straight from the station into the furnished rooms where I was living. It was winter, eight o'clock in the morning, when, in the Petersburg streets, the lamps are still lit, and the tired horses are dragging the sleeping night cabmen to their homes. He would take no refusal. He wouldn't listen to any of the maid's arguments, and said in his sonorous voice that rang through the corridor, "'What are you talking about? As if I didn't know him. Why, he's more to me than my own brother. What next? Show me into him.' We had been at school together in the South, where, incidentally, he had not finished his course. I was fond of him, not more than of a real brother, he exaggerated this in his hurry, but all the same, I was sincerely attached to him. However, though I immediately recognized his voice, with its soft and yet guttural southern G, and its provincial breadth of diapason, I cannot say that in the first minute I was particularly pleased. You know what it is, when a man has been gallivanting all over the place through the night, goes to bed with his head not quite clear, and, on the top of it all, is faced with serious, timed work for the next day. In a word, I cursed under my blankets, and firmly decided, if he came in, to pretend that I was asleep or dead like a beetle that has been placed on the palm of a hand. Easier said than done. He burst in like a hurricane, threw himself at me, dragged me out of bed as if I were a child, shook me and pulled me about. It was impossible to be angry with him. The frost had given him a delightful emanation of apples and something else, healthy and vigorous. His mustache and beard were thawing, his face was burning brightly, his eyes were shining. Well, well, how long are you going to wallow in those blankets? Get up, he roared. Get up or I'll smash you into little bits. Listen, you poor benighted provincial. I was trying to make him feel ashamed. Here in Petersburg, no one gets up before eleven. Lie down on the sofa, or ask for some tea, or send someone to fetch newspapers and read, but let me doze, if only for half an hour. No, nothing had any effect on him. He was bursting with stories of the past and plans for the future, so filled with new impressions that he seemed ready to blow up under their pressure, if I hadn't acted as a sort of safety valve. First came the greetings. It appears that, up to the present, they all remember me, are quite fond of me, and read with pleasure my articles on economics. I was flattered and pretended not to have forgotten a single one of all those extraordinary names. All those Guzikovs, Lyodushenkos, Chernish, and so many other old acquaintances. Secondly, Petersburg had utterly stupefied him. Deuce take it, what an enormous town! What do you think? 
at the station there were nothing but swagger cabs not a single ordinary one swagger cabs i repeated doubtfully on my honour yes i didn't grasp it at first and i was in one of them before i saw that it was on tires well i've let myself in i thought i wanted to crawl out of it but i was ashamed to do that and a policeman was hurrying them all i was lucky to get out of it so cheaply a rouble and a half altogether at the very most you ought to have paid fifty kopecks i put in there you're talking nonsense what give a cab on tires fifty kopecks for such a distance oh and what streets you have here and the people oh lord it's worse than the ferry-boats at home they're all over the place and on one of the bridges there is a statue of four horses have you seen it it's a sight you live well here i can see that the whole time he kept saying at home and you people here drawing a line between the two as all provincials do he was greatly struck by the fires lit at cross streets on account of the severe frost what's that for he asked with naive curiosity i answered quite seriously it's an idea of the town council to heat the streets so as to spend less on fuel in government offices his eyes grew round and so did his mouth from astonishment and all he could pronounce was oh the next minute he saw it and burst out laughing laughed in long deafening youthful peals i had to remind him that all the other lodgers were still asleep that the partitions were made of paper mache and that i didn't want to get into trouble with my landlady arisha came in with the samovar she looked sideways at boris with an expression of distrust and agitation as though a horse had been received into the room she was a regular petersburg maid sensitive and not without understanding at five o'clock we dined at the nevsky in an enormous and bad restaurant the room with its colors the romanians the plush furniture the electric lights the mirrors the monumental head waiter and particularly the spectacle of the heavy impudent frock-coated waiters with their enormous moustaches all this overwhelmed my country friend during the whole meal he sat bewildered awkward winding his feet round the front legs of his chair and it was only when we were having coffee that he said with a sigh shaking his head slowly yes a restaurant they wouldn't have believed it at home it's a regular temple of baal with his priests you'd better take me to a place where it's simpler here i see only the aristocracy probably they're all princes and counts but in the evening in my rooms he brightened up again i asked him for the first time seriously what he intended to do with himself up to this we had only touched on this question in a hurried rather diffuse way he puffed himself out like a young bantam and answered proudly i have come to conquer petersburg these very words are often uttered by the young heroes of french novelists who just arrived in paris are looking out at it from the heights of some garret i smiled sceptically he noticed it and began with special warmth the comic side of which was heightened by a southern accent to convince me of the fact that he represented the gifted large provincial south which was going to be victorious over the anemic untempermental dry capital-like north it was the inevitable law of struggle between two temperaments and its result is always easily guessed oh one can cite any number of names ministers writers painters barristers beware withered cold pale dull petersburg 
the south is coming i wished to believe him or rather i didn't wish to disillusion him we dreamt a little together he produced from his basket trunk a bottle of good old homemade plum liqueur which we began to drink in friendly fashion eh what eh what do they make in petersburg here such old plum liqueur he kept asking proudly and then scornfully there you are and you still discuss little by little he settled down i established him in furnished rooms next to my own for the time being on credit in anticipation of the trophies to be won in victories over the withered north it is extraordinary how at once he won the general goodwill of the establishment pushing into the background the former favorite a poet with red curly hair who looked like a deacon in a picture the landlady everybody knows the petersburg landlady of furnished rooms a lady of full figure forty-five years old with corkscrew curls on her forehead always in black and very tightly laced the landlady used to invite him to her apartment in the morning to have coffee a high honor to which many even of the old lodgers never dared to aspire in return for this amiability he would give her the contents of the morning papers as well as business advice in her innumerable pettifogging transactions everyone wants to get the better of a poor widow deuce take it like a true southern russian for all his apparent simplicity he was a very adroit and practical fellow with a quick comprehension and a certain benevolent shrewdness even arisha got used to him and regarded him i believe with a sort of well i don't want to gossip all i will say is that in those days he was very good-looking tall strong with dark melancholy eyes and young laughing red lips under his ukrainian moustache he was nearer the truth than i was i the old petersburg skeptic the luck was with him probably because a bold self-confident man can control destiny though destiny whirls and scatters in different directions perplexed and weak people perhaps too he was assisted by those original traits of character which he brought with him from the heart of his provincial south shrewdness observation a tranquil and open manner of speech an innate tendency to humor strong nerves that refused to be troubled by the chaos of life in the capital it may have been this or that but in any case the south as represented by him obviously and successfully conquered the north my friend quickly in three or four days found work for himself in connection with one of the largest railways and a month later had attracted the attention of the authorities he was entrusted with a revision of some plans of railway traffic or something of the sort the whole thing might have been easily finished in a week or two but for some reason or other boris got particularly interested in it in a stubbornly insistent way he took it into his head to frequent the public library dragged home enormous reference books stuffed with figures and devoted his evenings to mysterious mathematical calculations the result of all this was that he presented the authorities with a scheme of passenger and goods trains that combined simplicity and obviousness with many other practical signs of efficiency he was praised and attracted special attention six months later he was already in receipt of a hundred and fifty roubles a month and was employed on independent work 
but apart from this he gave frequent music lessons he was an excellent musician wrote articles for the newspapers and technical articles on railway questions and sang on saturdays and sundays in a well-known church choir as well as sometimes in opera and light opera choruses he was capable of an amazing amount of work but without strain without any effort it came to him somehow naturally easily as though he were wading through it as though it were all a joke with that externally lazy manner of his and always with a shrewd little smile he would be observing something keeping his eye on something as though after all he were only playing with the present merely testing his untouched force while at the same time vigilantly and patiently waiting for his real opening for some mysterious remote object known only to himself he was studying through the self-teaching methods of toussaint and langustite french german and english i could hear him sometimes at the other side of the partition repeating with this terrifying pronunciation la la mouche vole when i asked him why all this was necessary he would answer with this sly benevolence oh it's like this i have nothing to do all the same he knew how to enjoy himself somewhere on vasiliev island he had unearthed some of his fellow-countrymen ukrainians from poltava who wore embroidered shirts with little ribbons instead of ties and enormously wide trousers tucked into their top boots they used to smoke long pipes would ostentatiously spit through the corners of their lips onto the floor and had nothing but contempt for all our town cultivation i went once or twice to the little evenings they drank gorilka not our vodka but a special brand brought from down there ate slices of pork and enormous sausages so long that one had to coil them on one's plate in ten or fifteen circles there was singing too wonderful singing extraordinarily sad and stately i can still remember as if it were yesterday boris passing his hand nervously over his long beautiful wavy hair as he started the couplet of an old cossack song his voice was warm tender slightly vibrating and every time that i listened to him i experienced a tickling and throbbing in my chest and i felt like crying without any reason and afterwards one drank gorilka again and at the end one danced the gopak one of the national ukrainian dances boris's jacket would fly away from his immense shoulders to a corner of the room and he himself would soar from end to end rapping out the time with his heels whistling in tune and slyly raising and lowering his dark eyebrows he became the head of this dear ukrainian farm village tucked away among the severe parallel streets of petersburg there was something about him attractive charming irresistible and everything seemed to come to him as a joke as if it were merely by the way i believed now definitely in his victory over the north but something inexplicable something perturbing would never leave my soul when i thought of him it began in the spring soon after easter which was late that year we drove together to the islands it was a clear pensive gentle evening the quiet waters of the rivers and canals dozed peacefully beside their banks reflecting the pink and mauve colors of the deadened sky the young grayish foliage of the black century-old lime-trees on the banks 
looked at itself in the water so naively so joyfully for a long time we were silent at last under the charm of this exquisite evening i said slowly how delightful for the sake of an evening like this one can fall in love with petersburg he didn't answer i looked at him stealthily sideways his face was gloomy and he had an angry expression don't you like it i asked boris made a slight gesture of annoyance it's scenery he said with disgust it's the same as at the opera you call this nature a strange dreamy expression had come suddenly into his dark eyes and he began in a low jerky troubled voice there now in little russia there's the real spring wild berries white hazel trees are blossoming the frogs are croaking in the creeks the nightingales are singing when it is night there it is real night dark with dread with mysterious passion and what days there are there now what sun what sky what is this finland of yours a mixture of rain and snow he turned away and became silent but i understood instinctively that there was something wrong something unhealthy at work in my friend's heart and in fact from that very evening boris began to fret and seemed to wilt i could hear no longer behind the partition his melodious purring he no longer projected himself like a bomb into my room in the mornings his usual talkativeness had disappeared only when conversation turned on ukrainia would he grow animated and then his eyes became dreamy beautiful and pitiful and he seemed to be looking into the distance hundreds of miles away i'll go there for the summer he would say decidedly damn it at all events i'll get a rest from the cursed peter but in the end he didn't succeed in going there his office kept him in the middle of the summer we said good-bye to each other i had to go abroad on business i left him sad irritated tired out at last by the white nights which brought him sleeplessness and a distress bordering on despair he saw me off at the warsaw station i returned in the very middle of a nasty wet foggy petersburg autumn oh how well i recall those first dismal irritating impressions dirty pavements thin endless rain a sort of gray slimy sky and in the background of the picture rough dvorniks with their brooms hunted-looking cabmen with their rumpled clothes women with hideous sheepskin galoshes the hems of their skirts all wet bilious angry people with perpetually swollen faces coughs and spleen but i was still more struck and saddened by the change that had taken place in boris when i came in he was lying dressed on his bed which had not been made his hands were folded under his head and he didn't rise when he saw me how are you boris i said seized already by a feeling of presentiment and i met with a cold estranged glance afterwards he apparently decided to greet me for he rose as if it were a matter of duty welcomed me and lay down again on the bed with great difficulty i managed to persuade him to dine with me that night at a restaurant on the way he was silent walked with a stoop had an air of indifference as though he were being led on a string and i had to repeat every question i asked listen what in the world is the matter with you have they changed you i said touching his shoulder 
he shook my hand off nothing only boredom with everything for some time we walked on side by side without a word i remembered his musty neglected room its untidiness the dry bits of bread on the table the cigarette ends on the saucers and i said decidedly and with real anxiety i'll tell you what it is my dear friend in my opinion you are quite simply ill no don't wave your hands but listen to what i'm going to say these things can't be neglected have you got any money a plan for curing my downhearted friend had quickly ripened in my mind it was truly a rather ancient rather trivial and if you like a rather ignoble plan i had merely decided to take him to one of those equivocal places where one sings and dances where people don't know themselves what they are doing but are sure that they are enjoying themselves and through this conviction infect other people with the same illusion having dined somewhere or other we turned towards the aquarium at about eleven o'clock so as to get the atmosphere of a spree i took a swagger cab which whirled us past the insults of the cabmen past the pedestrians all slobbered over with mud i was supporting the shattered thinned back of boris he was as stubbornly silent as ever only once asking discontentedly where are we hurrying off to like this the dense crowd the smoke the rattle of the orchestra the naked shoulders of the women with their made-up eyes the white splashes of the tables the red brutalized faces of the men all this pandemonium of tipsy gaiety had quite a different effect on boris from what i was expecting at my invitation he was drinking but he was not getting drunk and his expression was becoming more and more distressed a bulky powdered woman with an ostrich boa around her fat naked neck sat down for a minute at our table tried to start a conversation with boris then looked at him in dismay and silently hurried off into the crowd from which once more she glanced back towards us and at this glance dread came to me as if i had become stricken by something deadly as if someone black and silent were standing close beside us let's drink boris i shouted above the noise of the orchestra and the din of the crockery with his face puckered up as though from toothache he formed an unspoken sentence on his lips which i guessed to be let's get out of this i insisted on driving from the aquarium to another place from which we emerged at dawn in the cold dark blue twilight of petersburg the street in which we were walking was long and narrow like a corridor from the sleepy five-storied stone blocks there emanated the cold of the night the sleepy vorniks were plying their brooms while the chilled night cabmen shivered and swore hoarsely stumbling as they strained on the cords round their chests small boys were dragging their loaded stalls through the middle of the streets at the doors of the butcher's shops hung the red open carcasses of repulsive-looking meat boris was walking dejectedly when suddenly he caught me by the arm and pointing to the end of the street cried out there it is there what is it i asked in consternation you see the fog the fifth stories were drowning in the mist which like the drooping belly of a black serpent was descending into the corridor-like street had stopped halfway and hugging itself was peering down as if getting ready to spring at someone boris shook my arm and said with eyes blazing in sudden anger do you understand what this is do you understand 
It is the town that is breathing. This is not fog. It is the breath from these stones with holes. There is here the reeking dampness from the laundries, the smoke from the coal. There is here the sin of the people, their anger, their hatred, the emanations from their mattresses, the reek of their sweat and their putrescent mouths. My curse upon you, anathema, monster, monster, I loathe you. Boris's voice broke and rang alternately as he shook his bony fists in the air. Cool down, I said, taking him by the shoulders. Come, cool down. Can't you see that you're startling people? Boris choked and coughed for a long time. Look, he exclaimed, his face contracted by his cough, and he showed me a handkerchief which he had pressed against his lips, on the whiteness of which I saw a large stain of blood. It is he who has eaten me up, the fog. We walked back to his lodgings in silence. In April, before Easter, I looked in at Boris one day. The weather was extraordinarily warm. There was a smell of melted snow, of earth, and the sun was shining bashfully and timidly as a woman smiles when she is making friends again after tears. He was standing by the opening of the double window, breathing in the spring air. As I entered the room, he turned round slowly, and on his face there was a kind of tranquil, appeased, childish expression. It is nice now at home in the government of Poltava, he said, smiling by the way of a greeting. And suddenly it came home to me that this man would die soon, perhaps even that very month. It is nice, he went on thoughtfully, and, getting suddenly animated, he hurried towards me, seized my hands and said, Sachenka, dear, take me down to my home. Take me, old man. Won't you do it? But am I refusing? Of course we'll go. And so, just before Easter, we started on our journey. When we left Petersburg, it was a damp, cold day, and over the town a thick black fog was hovering, that same black fog which had poisoned the soul and eaten the body of my poor friend. But the nearer we came to the south, the more excited and joyful my poor Boris became. The spring seemed rushing to meet us, and when we caught our first glimpse of the white-dabbed little huts of Ukraine, it was already in full bloom. Boris could not tear himself from the window. All along the line, large, simple flowers, bearing the poetical name of dreams, blossomed in blue patches. Boris told me with ecstasy that in Little Russia one dies Easter eggs with these flowers. At his home, under the blue caressing sky, under the full but not yet hot rays of the sun, Boris began to revive quickly, as if he were recovering with his soul from some low, clutching, icy nightmare. But bodily, he grew weaker every day. The black fog had killed in him something vital, something that gave life and the desire to live. A fortnight after his arrival, he was confined to his bed. All the time he had no doubt that he would soon die, and he died bravely and simply. I was with him the day before his death. He pressed my hand hard with his dry, hot, emaciated fingers, smiling caressingly and sadly, and said, Do you remember our conversation about the North and the South? It's long ago now. Do you remember it? Don't imagine that I'm eating my words. Well, I admit it. I have not withstood the struggle. I have perished. But after me, others are coming. Hundreds, thousands of others. Understand, they must win the victory. They cannot fail to conquer. 
because over there the black fog is in the streets in the hearts and in the heads of the people and we come from the exulting south with joyous songs with the dear bright sun in our souls my friend people cannot live without the sun i looked at him attentively he had just washed and had combed his hair flat back over his head after moistening it with water it was still moist and this gave his face a pitiable and innocent and festive expression behind which one detected all the more clearly the proximity of death i remember too that he kept looking attentively and in apparent astonishment at his nails and the palms of his hands as though they were strange to him the next day i was called hastily to his bedside to find not my friend but only his body which was passing unconsciously in a swift death agony early that morning he had asked to have his window opened and it remained open into the room from the old garden crept in branches of white lilac with their fresh elastic odorous flowers the sun was shining the blackbirds sang out their madness of delight boris was becoming quiet but in the very last minute he suddenly lifted himself up and sat on his bed an insane awe showed itself in his wide-open eyes and when he fell again against the pillows and after a deep sigh stretched himself out with all his body as if he wanted to stretch himself before a long deep sleep this expression of awe did not leave his face for a long time what had he seen in that last minute perhaps to the eyes of his soul there had outlined itself that bottomless perpetual black fog which inevitably and pitilessly absorbs people and animals and the grass and the stars and whole worlds when they were laying him out i could not bear to see his terrible yellow feet and i left the room but when i came back he was already lying on the table and the mysterious little smile of death lurked peacefully round his eyes and lips the window was still open i broke off a small branch of lilac wet and heavy under its white clusters and placed it on boris's breast the sun shone joyfully at once tender and indifferent in the garden the blackbirds were singing on the other side of the river the bells were ringing for the late church service end of section 11